All right. We're recording yeah. again. So, oh, so, so 19. So I was at 19 when I came out as an EMT. And you back in under the L, right? So I used to have like these gold streaks, like rust on my car. And I never could figure out why there's like this gold on the top of my car. I'm like, where's this rust coming from? No. So we were sitting, we were all standing outside one day. And one of the guys had a car right under the, right by the front doors. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden, this stream comes dribbling down in his car and it's yellow. We woke up, there's a guy pissing off the top of the L. And that's why I had the gold streak on the top of my car. The entire time, and I finally figured it out. They'd be on the platform peeing off, and you'd have, I thought it was rust. It was pits. I, um, I forgot about that. It was right on, it was like right next to uh, like yeah, an hour. Right yeah, man. Yep. That, they, and we would be sleeping, and we, we slept over at the station that night. And like, I, I remember they had army cots, and we slept by the window, and that. L would come past and wake you up every time it would come yep. past. Yeah. I don't know how people sleep next to, to L trains. It is. That's New York, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what I was like. I'm like, I'm getting the full experience here. Yeah. yeah. The, the train coming by. Yeah. yeah. And then in the morning, like early in the morning, they would have like uh, people come home from the club and then they would stop on the corner and have like dance parties in the middle of the street. Oh my god! So, yeah, it was pretty- <laughs> the Bronx is a different beast. It is. It is the so, boogie what? down. That's what they, yeah. is that what they call it. It's, it's, it's just crazy. I can't even. I can't even figure out how it works over there. It was. It was interesting. So, mm. Julie, your dad was a firefighter, right? You said. Yes. He uh. Was he, he was. Work? Yep. He was FDNY. He retired a battalion chief. Um. He basically worked like. He got on, I think, in 1969 or 68, and then I was born in 79. And uh, whoa, I know. And I think that was year he became a he became a lieutenant that year, and he became a captain when I was in high school, and a chief when I was in college, and then like after 9/11. Uh, he ended up having a stroke drown at ground zero during like the recovery effort and stuff. So he retired in 2002 um, and ended up retiring like disability and stuff or like three quarters is what they call it. But yeah, he was like 32 or 33 years on the department. Good for him. Yeah. He loved it, you know? So yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried to get a firefighter. Well, when I was 19, I did, like, I took the test and everything. I trained for it for, like, months with the women's, um, like, firefighter, you know, the women's federation of firefighters or whatever they have. Like, some of the women in the 80s who came on, like, the first women ever on the New York City Fire Department, uh, they basically train women how to pass the physical agility test. It's a lot of, you know, because we don't always have, like, the upper body strength, maybe that, like you know, men do with the test. So um, I thought it was like really a great training. It was like three days a week, several hours a day. Uh, and I met a lot of great women. Um, and anyway, I did not. Uh, you got with your phone. I know. Sorry. Um, I didn't pass. I didn't pass. And then I was going to try again when I was 22. And like, I don't know, at 22, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And at 23, I went to EMT school and then that was it. I, I just kind of 
I wanted to do this, you know, like, and I feel like as I'm older now, I'm like, I'm, I don't know that fire would have been like the route for me. I like this, you know, caring for people in this capacity. So, yeah. I tell everybody that like people call me crazy because they're like riding the medic unit. Whenever you guys were talking to me the first time and you're like, it's okay to write like EMS. It's okay to write like, write. Yeah. So I'm like yeah. my people. <laughs> I know. I feel like, I don't know there. We have like a really nice, um, rewarding job, you know, like not every day it's amazing. Like sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, Frustrating. You know what I mean? Like it is the same, it is the same shit every day. No, it but isn't. It, it is. It is. But I mean it can be, but I will say it's it's fun. If you make it fun, yo, it's it's fun. Well, you have a lot of autonomy. You get to do whatever you want. On. For I mean, I think you can do whatever you want, but I think when you're in a firehouse, like you're part of a group, and that's really great too. Like I think that the camaraderie that firefighters have is really exciting and nice. Um, because they are living together. But for us, even though it's a different kind of way, you become really close with your partner in a, in that kind of camaraderie sort of way. But like, I don't know, you have a lot of autonomy. You sort of have to think on your toes. Like you're really out there doing a lot of things based on your protocols and based on your knowledge, but you're doing it, you know, like you don't have to kind of look to your officer to tell you where to go or what to do. Like you're taking it upon yourself to make these like, fast-paced decisions and care for your patient. It's very dynamic. And I don't know, I just, I like it. And I like being able to help people in that way, like one-on-one, you know, like we have like actual relationships with patients, um, particularly the ones that we see frequently that live in our neighborhood that might be sick. Like, I don't know, I get to know people pretty well, you know, like I kind of like our repeat patients. I don't know. I know a lot of people get annoyed by frequent flyers, but like, I sort of enjoy it, you know, like I have a rapport with them. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. So, what tell us more about Pittsburgh. I want to hear more about Pittsburgh and this interesting system. I think everybody oh, does. Interesting system. So, well, tell us about Pittsburgh. Um, we have my spiel. That's what me and my partner call when I talk to students. Um, we have 13 medic units. So, right. we have a paramedic, paramedic. Um, 24 hours a day. We work 12 hour shifts. Like we said, sounds like the same type of schedule that you work. Um, three BLS units that are also 24 hours a day. They are EMT, EMT. Okay. Uh, two rescue trucks. We do all the rescue in the city. Um, and there's two to three paramedics on those every shift. And we have, Two operational supervisors, which we call district chiefs, okay, and they run the system. Um, basically, they're they're the the operational supervisors, is what we like to refer to them as, because they run the system. Yeah, whereas a day, we have a river rescue boat that uh, has a police officer that pilots the boat and uh, two paramedic rescue divers, and. Uh, also a physician resident that is on 24 seven and uh, they respond to all the critical calls um, that we get, or if we need them to come out for like a high risk refusal or something like that, they'll, they'll come out and do that. Oh, wow. 
Who do they work for? For the hospital or the city? Yeah, UPMC, um, which is our command facility. We have medical command through UPMC. Okay. Um, so when you need orders, you would call them on the phone? Yep. So we actually use the radio, and they – so there, there's two forms of it. There's the resident that has their radio, and if they – if we have to talk to a doc, then they'll switch us over to them and okay. talk to them. Yeah. But there's something where we need like a faculty doc that yeah. we call it faculty backup. So okay. we'll have faculty backup and that's um, where like really high stuff would go. Like if they're, if we're doing like these COVID refusals now um, we have to talk to a faculty doc for it. So pretty much like, really big things. If we do an ECMO activation, it has to be a faculty doc. Like all these, all these things that are really, really high or don't agree with what the residents telling us, then we ask for faculty backup. So there's always a faculty doc on that's listening. He doesn't ride around on the SUV called the Jeep. Um, but he doesn't, he's, he's actually just in the hospital. Um, what else do we have? Uh, we have the Thames unit. Um, so that's attached to the SWAT team, Pittsburgh mm. SWAT team. Um, Are they with them all the time or just when there's like an activation? When there's an activation. Okay. Yeah. So like the tree of life and everything, like we yeah. have those, the Thames medics that went in. Uh, they give them guns? Yes. They have oh, some. Wow. Yeah. What? <laughs> They have to do proficiency training and qualifying. Like they have to go through quals every so often to yeah. carry it and everything. And that's like a self-defense thing. Uh, okay. I, I honestly, I think that that's a really good idea. Yeah. If you're going to be a SWAT medic, you know, in that stack, of, can you, you can't with me. Don't have kids. Um, <laughs> they talk too much. So yeah. Like if you're there, you know, you're in that stack, like you should have a piece. You know, they so. they uh they do qualifications on it, and uh, I I know that they whenever they put them out first, like back in two thousand eleven or twelve, yeah, they originally didn't carry sidearms up okay. until only a few years ago. They fought and they got that, so cool. it, it's good for them. They qualify yeah. that they have to go through all the same types of qualifications as the SWAT members do with their yeah. sidearms. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a two-week training program, okay. an 80-hour program of basic and advanced SWAT yeah. to get onto the team. Um, okay. So that's pretty cool. Those guys get to do that. That's cool. We have uh, motorcycle medics. So for all the special events that are really big, like the marathons, like the races, and all the Steelers games, um, we have motorcycle medics that are on, and they carry – the full complement of, you know, the heart monitor, jump bag, oxygen, everything. On a, on a motorcycle? Yep. They were exactly like a police, police motorcycle. And uh, they actually have a, a handful of documented saves because they get there, especially during the marathons. Hmm. Uh, they get there a lot quicker than the medic unit does because obviously they can slide through people a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, they back. Saved a monitor on that bike. It's it's in the top portion of it. So they're Harley Davidsons. Yeah. In like the top fold out and they kind of like pack it in there, I guess. Maybe maybe uh, I'll send it to you. Hope yeah, hopefully the uh the Instagram guy. Yeah, nameless. I'll send you uh, the pictures. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see it. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, we have people that are attached to the hazmat team that make up the city of Pittsburgh's hazmat team. That's combined with the fire department. Um, what else? I We have a handful of people that are on the regional strike team, the USAR team um, for the county. And uh, I think I think I'm getting everything. I think I got everything. With water, team activation, we have that. Um, so we have a handful of specialty things that we can do. And that's not including, like, uh, right now the echo unit's big um, with the COVID stuff. They have the echo unit on 24 yeah. hours a day, which is uh, the – this is – not a lot of Pittsburgh people know about this, too. I had to call our chief to ask him this because I was so curious of what it meant, the echo team. And he told me it stands for the etiology team. And it's Weird. E in the etiology is the, the phonetic for E is echo. So it's the echo team. <laughs> okay. So okay. I, don't know, I guess it sounds cool. That's probably why they chose it. Yeah. yeah so they, they're on right now, 24 hours a day doing deconning and uh, helping mm-hmm. with the uh, highest patients that uh, um, are suspected of the COVID. So we worked in arrest the other day uh, when I was on, with the suspected COVID patient sounds similar to the kind of rest you guys are working on. And uh, they were a medical backup and it was kind of a culture shock because we usually have the firefighters that go and it originally came in as like a BOS call, I think. And we were assigned to it for some reason. And then it kind of progressed to, you know, an unconscious, not breathing and like, Oh, the caller's doing CPR on the person. So we, uh, I, I called for backup and my partner's like, Hey, do you want to like call for the echo team on this? And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And they had already been listening in and yeah. they jumped the call pretty much. So um, we ended up canceling the fire department because we didn't want to go in with more people than we needed. So um, you know, we had to dress out and everything and go in. And uh, it was weird though, because usually we have the firefighters doing CPR. Everybody was getting their hands in on CPR that time because yeah. <laughs> they weren't there. So I guess you don't appreciate. You guys have Lucas, the CPR boy or no? Yeah, we do. Um, it comes in on either the Jeep, the docks vehicle or the rescue trucks. The rescue trucks both have them. Oh, okay. Mm. So, um, yeah, the so rest- are you guaranteed to get a Lucas or not really? It's not like, I don't want to say guaranteed because you're never guaranteed it, but you have a pretty good shot of it because both the rescue trucks carry one. And the rescue trucks on top of running all the, um, like the rescue calls in the city, they do the medical backups as well. Mm. So if you call on a cardiac arrest for help, then they're the ones that are coming. So mm. they have a, they have the, uh, the Lucas device and then the dock goes on all those high acuity calls too. So that okay. time we had the dock there the other day. So they had their Lucas on their Jeep. So mm. use that. So when the doc comes on these calls, like on these arrests and everything, are they like, are they getting in there? Are they sort of like the ACLS kind of like guy who's telling everybody what to do? I mean, like, what's their role? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they, they, it, it depends on who you get. I guess that's the best way to say it is, uh, you know, usually they're, it's, it's, 
usually they're the ones that are like standing back trying to help us. Like just, you know, if we ask for something like say, Hey, what do you think about doing this? And they're like, yeah, cool. So instead of calling them on the phone or the, the uh, radio, they're right there. Um, if it's like, uh, if they give some type of medication that we can't give, um, they can give it, which is nice. Um, and then they have like a video or endoscope and everything that they can use. So if we have a heart intubation, then they'll do it. So like, yeah, you have docs that'll get in there and get their hands dirty. And then um, you have some that stand back and, you know, let us do everything. It, it, it's, it's more of a, I, I think I said this the last time we talked about it in general, like EMS is, I, I think a lot of people tell me EMS is like, oh, we're independent, which, which, yeah, I, I think that we are to a certain extent, but I think that you are what you, you have to be relying on the team and your partner still. So like, it's not just your independent thinking. I can say, I want to do this thing, but it's like, maybe I need help with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a teamwork aspect yeah. in it. You're independently thinking, but there is also a big teamwork aspect, which is what you guys were talking about. Like, hey, I'm having a hard time getting this IV. Can you get it? Like, yeah. You really need the IV, but yeah. maybe yeah. you can get it. You're having a bad day and your partner gets it. I mean, that's happened to me. It happens. Yeah, to yeah definitely. Do you think it's better to have two medics or one medic? Oh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I really like being with a paramedic. Um, I've worked with EMTs and I've worked with paramedics like, the paramedic paramedic system that I work in now is really nice. Um, you think the care is better? Calls. We switch off calls. Yeah. And, uh, so we don't have as much paperwork. And uh, the other thing is, you know, you have a paramedic that you're, you're able to bounce ideas off of. So yeah. nice. Like, but I, again, there's been times whenever I've been with EMTs that are better than the, some medic partners I've been with. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some EMTs that are just as helpful as a paramedic that I've worked yeah. with over the years, and uh, so I don't know. I think it depends on who your partner is. If you have a good paramedic partner, then you're going to have a good day. If you have a good EMT partner, then you're going to have a good day too. And it's like I think that you have to be a competent paramedic. More of a, I, I don't want to say more of a competent paramedic, but you have to have you know more guts when you're the only paramedic on yeah. board because you know you, you're you're the one that's going to be making those decisions that's going to fall back on you versus you know having a partner but um that was, i don't miss it i don't miss it at all yeah that that was one thing that i always say i was i was very thankful for at the time was uh going into the clusters of doing medic assist and you know you go in with two emts that some of them aren't very good and then you have a truck that you've never been in that you don't know if it's stocked or not and i used to hate doing that i yeah. used to, and we did a lot of it too and yeah. i used to hate doing it and then looking back on it it's definitely made me the medic that i am today it helped it that helped form me with what you know i am today which yeah. i'm thankful for but um yeah being with a medic is is nice because you can bounce ideas off them and i'm sure you, you like i can see you guys have the chemistry right here i mean like yeah. like me and my partner i've told you this he was in my he was in my wedding party yeah, like, you know, yeah. It, it's the same chemistry like we we have a bad call and her good call um and uh you, you 
you don't even have to talk. Yeah. That's always been something that's been amazing to me about this profession is that like when you have a critically ill patient or even just that whatever BS patient, you you, you have you and your partner don't even have to talk on these yeah. calls. You yeah. know what needs to be done and it's done. There's nothing that needs to be said. If I if I have a bad patient that we're caring for, I don't really even talk to my partner because I know he's on the same line as I yeah. am. Yeah. I'm sure that's the way you guys think too. And that's that's always been very, very interesting to me yeah. is that dynamic and chemistry that that creates. And that can be with an EMT too. I, again, I, I've been with EMTs that have been like that, that I used to be study partners with and they were the same way. And it's, it's cool. It's neat. That's the thing. I, I don't think that, you know, especially with like our podcast and our Instagram, I don't, a lot of the other podcasts, they focus solely on paramedics. You know what I mean? And I think the EMTs are, aren't looked at as, as important as they are, you know, and to be a good EMT, like that to me is, is very important, you know? So like this, this, I'll say this COVID thing and bring it up again. I think this is going to give the, a lot of these new EMTs who haven't had to deal with serious patients, a lot of good experience in how to deal with really sick patients by yourself. Cause it's John Wayne, man, whatever you want to do that you're going to be able to do it. You know, with that patient who's stopping breathing, there's no medics, you know? So like right now think, they're, they're still lucky cause they're still getting some of us, but there's, I know we're getting to that point where yeah, they may not, you know. but I do. I mean, I think that, that in itself, I think for me, like when I was an EMT and I worked in a system where I had a medic partner, I don't know that I became a great EMT until I had an EMT partner, you know, and I, I'm not saying I ever was a great EMT or that I even am now, you know, like I, I feel like, but my confidence um, actually got better when I just had a BLS partner because when I had a medic partner and I worked upstate in New York, like I sort of deferred to them when there was any kind of like, you know, really legitimate call or something that like required a lot more intervention, you know, the medic usually picked that up obviously and dealt with it. And so when I came to the city and worked, um, you know, for the city, I had an EMT partner and it was suddenly like, oh, it's just us out here. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, we can call for ALS, but we're not necessarily going to get them. Um, and also like, Hey, this is a trauma. Like we're just going to ride it in because we can't wait for 10 I'm minutes. A I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a shitty medic when I test, but you know, when I test for EMT, you know, I'm a 95 EMT medic. I'm like, oh, this passion. I'm for, uh, so like when I, I lived an interesting senior year of high school. Um, whenever I became 18, I was still in high school. So I was allowed at the firehouse to bunk in on weekends, like not yeah. nights. Mm. And on Friday nights after school, I would go up to the firehouse and we had live-ins. We have live-ins at our, our firehouse. Okay. They go to school and then in return for living rent-free at the firehouse, they have to run all the calls that come in. And it's it's a very good and unique system because it gets the rigs out the door quick and you have guys that are getting this experience and they're also living rent-free and in a nice place Yeah, that experience that they want to do. So, you know, I, I was, that's where my social life was firehouse. And uh, I think everybody did that. Yeah. Like, you know, whenever I was uh, up on the weekends, 
I would bunk in on the weekends from like Friday till Sunday night. And the two younger guys in the bunk room that became to become my really good friends, they, at the time, the rules was, uh, the rule was, uh, the youngest guys in the bunk room would run the BOS calls that came yeah. in. So me or those two guys would run every night. And then on the weekends, they would love when I came in because I would take those calls for them. And only yeah. one of them had to go and drive me. The other one would stay back and get to sleep on the weekend. So like that's, cool. that's how I got to like really hone the craft is, you know, running calls in my senior yeah. year, like on weekends, sleeping in at the firehouse. And uh, that really provided a good, uh, a, a good foundation before I went to medic school. Yeah. I, medic school when I graduated high school and it was like, Oh, I had that year of running by myself with another EMT. Like maybe they weren't the real big acuity calls, but you're still by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to sort of take the lead in that circumstance. And, um, and also you just get familiar with like how to speak with patients, how to, what medications people take. You know, there's a lot that kind of. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's the stuff that you don't think about. I would have never thought about that. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of feel like it's um, I had like a different experience than you folks had because I grew up in the city. So like there weren't I mean, there are some volunteer EMS, um, you know, ambulances in the city, but like it's not as commonplace. And there's no well, I think there might be one volunteer firehouse in Queens or something. Right. Like not, is it Hamilton Garrison Beach. Beach. Oh, all on my, yeah, that's Brooklyn. So like. These weren't things I kind of knew about, you know, like my dad worked for FDNY. That's all I knew. I didn't even know that volunteers existed. <laughs> like I can tell you I went, when I was like 23 and I went upstate like to work on an ambulance and, you know, we'd be going on these jobs and they'd be like, oh, the volleys are coming. I'm like, what's a volley? You know, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> and I was like, people volunteer to be firefighters. I was like shocked, you know, because <laughs> I, to me, it was like, oh, that's just a paid career that you do you know like cause that's what two my volunteer fire departments in queens yeah two broad right channel, west hamilton beach okay broad channel and hamilton beach yeah. yeah and they're not that far from each other yeah and both of those are kind of unique um neighborhoods in that they're sort of removed they're like by the water they're kind of removed from like on an island queens. Or a- yeah i mean like broad channel is like a almost like a strip you know, like yeah. it's between like the mainland sort of a Queens and then Rockaway, which is kind of its own peninsula. So Broad Channel connects them. Yeah. But um, so those are it's almost like if you didn't grow up in that neighborhood, you would have you don't know that. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing you know about. Yeah. Even I went to high school in Rockaway. And so I used to go through Broad Channel every day. I didn't know anything about Broad Channel. You know, like it's a neighborhood unto itself, you know, so unless you grew up there you had no idea how to like get involved in that, I guess, unless you knew someone in that area. So yeah, for me, my, my experience was like completely different. Like it was, I was like literally an adult when I even really knew what EMS did, you know? And so I don't know. I think it's cool that you guys had an experience, you know, when you were younger, it sort of like shapes what you're going to do. And, and if this is for you, you know, it's, I don't know. I always, I mean, I was like a delinquent at, you know, 16 through like 23 or something. So I'm like, maybe I could have had more uh, 
stability in my life if I were doing something like that. You Make know? a bad person being a delinquent. Makes you better on the ambulance. So <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of, you know, it takes one to know one sometimes. So. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember your first call on the, when you were volunteering? I do. What do you, what'd you get? Uh, it was a chest pain. I was right there person. I was, I was 15, 16 years old. This was before I was an EMT. And, uh, this is your first call ever on the ambulance. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wow. Um, it was a chest pain on, uh, I remember exactly what road it was. But I was right there person. And, uh, I remember going to the call and my hands were like shaking and I, oh. I couldn't stop. Like the adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it was just like so exciting that I was yeah. going on the first one. But yeah, I, I remember it. It was chest pain. Some lady having chest pain. And I, I think I remember like she said, you look young or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm a child. Yeah, I'm here to help you. Looking or something. But I, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I had to wait. I waited because like I had my my pager and was like, yo, when that thing went off, I was like, oh my god, a call! And it was like an RMA. <laughs> so I was like trying to put on the gloves on the way there, and I was like, what do you want me to get? <laughs> like, this is nothing. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> funny though. I mean, like being so young, even that, like in New York City, if you ever called nine one one, I don't know. Like I, I called 911 the first time ever when I was 13 for a friend of mine, we were drinking and she got like, you know, alcohol poisoning basically. And, um, you know, like adults came <laughs> like adults from Jamaica hospital came to take care of us. And it was reassuring that like these two adults That's came. I, like, I used to notice people in the ambulance and they were like, they looked older. You know, I know it would have been surprising if they were my age. is so young now. Yeah, like so. like the twelve-year-old look here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what's wrong with that? Listen, you want to hold up as long as you can. So. <laughs> no, man. By the time I'm thirty, I'm going to be gray. My dad turned gray when he was thirty, so I already got it. Listen, it's not a bad thing to be a silver fox. I, t- I told my I, told, I was in my my wedding you know, over the summer. My cousin was in and. They they're from Texas. So I don't get to see them a lot. And uh, I asked her, I'm like, when did you start turning gray? And she's like, well, I noticed gray hairs when I was like 16, but when I really started noticing it was when I was like 30. I'm like, I'm like, yep, that's in like I notice it like in my th- everybody's like, man, like when my hair grows out long, which is probably gonna grow out long, yeah. because of all this crap that's going on. Yeah. Um, you can see the grays. That's that's for sure. <laughs> Not a bad thing, you know. See this, you know. You're getting older. It's all right. Getting older. I mean, you're still pretty young, though. If you're not even thirty, so <laughs> I'm thirty, but you've had like twenty-five. Yeah, that's true. I'm twenty-five and a half. <laughs> but I, I feel like I don't know. You've had a lot of experience, like. I mean, for me, like I didn't really go to EMT school until I was like twenty-three. You know, so. Like by the time you were 23, you had like quite a few years under your belt of like um, being a first responder, essentially, you know, being in sort of critical situations. And I mean, I think that's a lot of responsibility to take on at that age, you know? Yeah. Well, it's weird to think because like, like I said, I never had anything else that I've wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do. And uh, 
I hated school. I didn't want to yeah, be. I, hate I absolutely hated school. I could. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go to paramedics. And I, I told Pete, Pete this. And uh, you, I think w when we talked the last time on the phone, um, I never expected to be in the position that I'm in today. Um, I always thought, because like I went to, when I was 18, I went to paramedic school and I graduated when I was 19. So I was on the streets and 19 years old as a paramedic with, you know, I went with three of my best friends to paramedic school and then four others from the firehouse were in the adjacent program. And, uh, did everybody finish? Did all you guys finish or you the only one that lasted? No, we all finished. Oh, wow. Finished. Okay. Yeah. So, um, they, uh, they all went off and went to down south like I wanted to do. Like mm -hmm. I was going to go down south and go to the D.C. area and be a firefighter paramedic where I could be on a fire engine and be a paramedic on an engine company. Like that was my – like that's that was the goal. And uh, my parents – convinced me to stay around to do some schooling because I like paramedic school and I ended up going to degree programs that you know, it's interesting that when you go to school for something you actually like, you know, you, yeah. you like going. So like, that was nice. But uh, I tried for all these job processes. I think I tried like 10 processes and the, I put my application to the city of Pittsburgh because I'm like, Oh, you know, it's, it's in town. Like, yeah. Up and why not? So none of the other processes worked out. And the, whenever I went down there, I would get homesick. And I was like, oh. I don't know, this just ended up being, I would have never thought I would work for the city. I, I precepted here in paramedic school. And I was like, ah, oh, this is really fun. Like to be a city medic, but I want to do the firefighting paramedic thing. Yeah. yeah. Yo, because you're honestly you're still you're still in the ambulance anyway. That I would have that I would have been in this situation, wouldn't have believed you. And I'm I'm thankful that it worked out that way because it's I I live a very good life. It's yeah. a very good life. It's a good job. People, this is what I tell everybody. People complain sometimes, but this is a very noble profession. It's a good it's a good job. It's a yeah. I mean, Julie, you said the same thing. It's, it's, yeah. Riding on the ambulance is not a bad thing. No, no. it's not. And I, I agree. And I mean, everyone, every person in the world sort of has a day where they complain about their job. And like, you know, in EMS, like, you know, there's a lot to complain about. Like, I mean, pay parity, all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's a great profession. It's a noble profession. Like, you can feel good about doing what you do. You know, like your job is to help people and you get paid to do that. So it's like you're getting paid a living wage to do something that's like really not only useful, but like important to people, you know, like, I don't know. I, I feel like we're privileged to be in the position we're in, you know, to see folks in times where they may be vulnerable and need help and be able to reassure them or provide them with care. Like that's a privilege. Not everyone gets to see that aspect of life, you know? And I don't know. I feel like I'm glad that we do. Like, I think it's important work, you know? It is. It is. It yeah. is. It's uh, like I said, I never, never expected to be in this, this scenario, but I'm sure part of that I am. That's, uh, for dang sure. For dang sure. Yeah. Is that is that a 
Pittsburgh thing saying dang sure. No, I no. just think it's fair. I don't give a shit. So Adam, I mean, how like you're a civil servant then, right? Is that what Yeah. Yep. So how long do you have to work for the city before you're able to retire? Is it like twenty five years and you're able to retire if you'd like? Twenty five and out. Um so it's twenty five and out or fifty five you can um you can retire, but we don't get a lot of people stay out after that because we don't get uh like health care after retirement. Um, oh wow. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys get that, but uh you have to we might now the one downside is you don't get health care after retirement, so a lot of guys end up staying around for a little bit more. But uh I put away and you know, I I it's we 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 have a we have a pension. I mean, it's not as great as it could be, um, but I mean, you get fifty percent of your um, of your best salary, and that's your pension. Like when you retire, like three years in a row, or just fifty percent of your best year. Fifty percent of your best base year. We don't get overtime. That's where we get kind of uh, mm. unlucky is that we don't get the overtime included. So fifty percent um, of your Base year, best base, best base. Best yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Which I think for us, like we're I came on, we're best year three. four. So yeah, and it's and my overtime is included, I believe. I'm Mine's not sure. Not. For, no, I don't have overtime anymore. Came on after I did, like, yeah. but you know they switch it up and everything, and but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of nice to have a job that you have. I mean, and for you, you're young, and like, so even if you retire, uh, you'd still be young. Like, you potentially could do something else if you wanted to, and you'd have your pension, and like, yep. and that's what a lot of people end up doing. I mean, and that's, uh, well, I mean, that's what a lot of people could could potentially do if they wanted to. I mean, the service is still very young. We're only we've only been in inception since 1975. So, I mean. There's guys that are still our one district chief is uh, he was in the original class in '75. He's the last one, yeah. but I mean, he was from that, um, he was from the, uh, the Freedom House, right, or something like that. Well, yeah, that was before the city. That was like from what the city started from was Freedom House. Okay. Uh, the, it's kind of like an evolving thing from Freedom House. The police used to do transports, like. Yeah. It, it, it basically was Freedom House was in one section of the city that had uh, like African Americans that were poverty stricken. They would do um, be trained by Nancy Caroline and Dr. Peter Saffer, and they would become paramedics and provide medical care for those citizens in Oakland and uh, the Hill District. And then everywhere else, the police basically had auction in the back of their paddy wagons and whenever they would get somebody critical ill they would just stuff them in the back and yeah. them right off to the, the hospital so after they saw freedom house and everything they saw the need for an ems agency and that's how pittsburgh got developed that was how we got started was from that so and then that's it's amazing it's still it, there's still people around from that era, you know, there, yeah. there, there's still people like the service is so young that people haven't retired from that area. 
So huh. you, you think about like the fire service and the police and how they've been around for so long and it's like, you know, they're, they're very established and known and it's like EMS is this young, this young creature still like yeah. we, we're still, I think to myself, man, like sometimes how do we like not get noticed? Like the fire department or everything, like whether it's unioned or anything like that, or, and I'm just like, you know, we're, we're so young. We're, we only got incepted here in 1975. Like there's still people around from that era that mm -hmm. haven't retired yet. Like we're seeing the first time in our services history, like retirements now. Yeah. People from that era are starting to retire. They're just getting of age that they can do that. So it's like, it's interesting to still be involved in a service that's so young. Yeah. You know? That's neat. Your cops, uh, your cops, do they throw people in the back of the paddy wagon still? No, they call for us. Mm -hmm. Step up the medics. Yours is rush the bus. Ours is step. Because yeah. mm -hmm. I know, I know Philly. Like if the cops drive into the hospital, I think they get like a, a day off or something. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So. Wow. Because yeah. when I was in medic school, you know, they the cops just came there. They throw you in the car and. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like so you get a day off, but you also might have a patient die in the back of your vehicle. <laughs> like <laughs> what's the that's not a great trade-off, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll have to find some Philly people to get on here. So yeah. Because you know. mm -hmm. yeah, I went to school. I was in um uh, medic three in West Philadelphia. It was uh, quite interesting. Really? Yeah, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. A pretty cool precept there. So yeah. So your day, so remember you said that you were an FTO. And you're also a crew chief. What is a crew chief exactly? What do you do? Um, so a crew chief is, uh, I'm not an FTO. I'm a, I'm a preceptor for paramedic students and nursing students. Okay. But, uh, I, I, the, uh, the FTO thing is separate. They have that for, I, I just missed that. I was kind of mad. I just missed that. But uh, it's, I am a crew chief. Uh, that's like the, the, I don't know how to describe it. Pretty much station duties. We run the station. Okay. Um, we uh, answer our supervisors. If there's something that goes wrong on a call, then we're the ones that take the blame for because we're like supposed we're we're supposed to be in charge of the crew. Okay. And uh, I, I I like to try and compare it to like the officer in a firehouse. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, is is pretty much what that's looked at as. Yeah. Ordering supplies. Managing the station. Um, yeah. Is there one per unit or one per station or one per line? We have two lines per station, and there's one per line. So there's me and another another at the station. Okay. Um, and uh, the one in my station goes off to the river every um, about five months per year. So that mm -hmm. leaves me in charge the rest of the time, which is interesting. Um, yeah. You know, you get you get a little bit of exposure. It's not it's it is what you make of it is what what I like to tell people. Like okay. I mean, some people flaunt it and everything, and I don't flaunt it. I, I think it's <laughs> but it's like I don't try to flaunt it. Um, yeah. I got promoted pretty young, um, two years in on the job, which is not typical for people. Yeah. So um, that's like a proud thing for me. Yeah, but it's also like. You, know, you gotta watch yourself because, like, you know, you're the new guy. 
exactly. With all that. So, I mean, we have people that have less time on the job than I do, and they're with tenants. Exactly. Like, I got nine years. That's the common complaint that I hear with uh, with a lot of people. And you know what? I can't I can't argue with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I can't argue with you. I'm like, you yeah. have a lot more time on the job than I do, and I got promoted really young. And uh, yeah. I, I, I consider it a very – Big blessing like i'm very happy that they had the faith in me that i passed the test and was able to interview and everything to get position but uh yeah i I, if i was in their positions too i could see where they're coming from i mean a young 28 year old guy that has two years on the job and he gets promoted like that's it's it's tough i mean the written examination that we had to take for it I think there are like eight people that took it and only three of them passed. So like, it's, it's a, it's a tough scenario, but I mean, your yeah. accounts into that, like you're, you're, you have to do an interview, a panel interview. I mean, there's more than just the test, but you have to initially pass the test. And, uh, that was, that's hard for some people. And I, I, yeah. I get it. I do get it. And I, yeah. I, I try to make the best of it though. That's yeah. my mm-hmm. thing. But. I mean, what's the, like for us, I'm assuming it's kind of similar. Like we have a lieutenant who manages the station and they also have to take a test. And I mean, the test involves a lot of like our operating procedures. Is that kind of like the same type of thing where you have to kind of know how to, yeah, we have a giant ops guide. that's It had to do with, I don't know if I've still have the binder, but, uh, it's, it was a huge, thick binder full of all of our state ALS and BLS protocols, all the policies, procedures, um, our contract for our union, uh, our overtime special event policies, like just the regular policy, just so much stuff, so much that my typical studying for like how I study for tests, like I couldn't do it because there was just so much material on it there. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much, I just read the book like two times that they had and tried to remember everything I could. But I mean, here's our ops guide. It, that, yeah. yeah, that's a very big binder. Yeah, I think our, uh, our, our binder for the crew chief test is not as thick as that. But yeah. And it's not even up to date. So if they, I think they said it takes like five reams of paper to make it. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, if you're able to pass that test, you have to have some knowledge of like how things work, which is what you need. If you're going to be like, you know, crew chief, if you're going to do that kind of, you know, station management, like you have to have this background. So, I mean, the person who passes, you know, like, and I guess you learn as you go, like you learn how to supervise, you learn how to you sort of manage the day-to-day tasks in a station. Um, you know, so whether you've got 10 years on or two years on, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, it's also, I mean, you go out on the road still, which is, is interesting and different, I think, than our situation. Cause like, not that lieutenants don't. And in fact, in the Bronx, they have like a different setup where lieutenants do go out with like a medic partner and actually pick up jobs. But for the most part, once you became a lieutenant, like your duties were basically to either manage the station inside or to kind of go out and manage crews on the street. 
but like you're not providing like patient care specifically. I mean, unless you happen to know that crew and you want to like join in and help them out. But for the most part, that's not what our lieutenants um, are expected to do. But it seems like for you folks, that is what you're expected to do. You're still on an ambulance. Yeah, like, so it's essentially you're in charge of the crew. So it's it's like you're in charge of the crew. So our our version of what you're talking about are district chiefs. So like they seem like the supervisors. Um, yeah. But uh, y- yeah, it's 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 interesting, and it's uh it is it's. I mean, that was a process in itself. Like people tell me about like studying for fire lieutenant and captain exams and everything, and it's the same similar process. Like we had to. We had to take a hundred question test that'll like it was hard and you had to do a panel interview and then all of your discipline gets factored into it and uh it, it's it's not like it's a walk walk through the park. Um, yeah. But it's it is what you make of it, is what I'll say like about it. Um but it, it's it's I have a lot of pride in saying that I did it in a short time, but I understand a lot of people's views that kind of a somebody promoting that fast. Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. So what kind of jobs are you getting over there in Pittsburgh on a regular day? You guys get some interesting stuff? You got some dazzlers? <laughs> I don't know what the like interesting stuff. I bet like I bet we see like a typical like what people would say is at least once in our work week, you know, once or twice. Like, and I'm when I say work week, like in my two day or three day stretch, mm-hmm. um, we'll get. I mean, there's we get a lot of respiratories at my station. Um, that's like our that's like our bread and butter. Our bad COPDs. Um, we have a lot of residential in our area and uh, the older population and people that can't take care of themselves and they're calling when they have respiratory emergencies and they are BAD bad yeah. when they, <laughs> when they get sick. So especially during the summer or the winter, cause that's when COPD that's, that's what COPDers don't like or asthmatics don't like is the seasons. Yeah. So, um, we have a lot of that. We have, uh, a decent amount of trauma during the summer with shooting wise, because again, we're in, um, a poor area. So there's a lot of drugs and everything. Oh, and that's probably one of the biggest things we get to are overdoses for heroin overdoses. Mm -hmm. Um, You get a lot of locals. uh, You get a lot of people from, from out in the County. Local overdoses. You get like out of County people who come in. Everybody doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like the, the road, the stretch of road that we cover the reason why it's so filled with drugs is that it's like a, a big road that comes from the suburban areas into the okay. city. So we get a lot of people from the outskirts yeah. that come in and we have a lot of people on that stretch of road that just yeah. do drugs and with people that deal with drugs. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere, but it's, it's different because it's really, it, the, the drugs are everywhere in yeah. the city, but like they're, really really predominant in in the south hills where okay. we're at um and it's it's gotten a lot better since i first got hired um i don't know if that's just because there's so much narcan on the street like everybody and their brother has narcan yeah. now I so i don't that. think they call 
like we used to go from call to call for overdoses, like no lie. And, uh, it was then with all this Narcan, when that came out, my, from talking to these people, like I, I talked to my patients and I talked to the heroin overdose patients a lot. And I asked them like how they got addicted and everything. And, you know, I, I, I think they don't call anymore because they get revived with by the Narcan that their buddy gives them or something. And instead of calling us, like if they wake up, then they'll, they won't call us. But if they don't wake up, that's when they call us. So I think that's why we see a decrease from what it was because the Narcan wasn't on the street, which I guess is because the Narcan's working, but they're still doing the drugs. So, I mean, I don't know. I think we don't see a lot because I think that they're waking up before we get yeah. there. Mm-hmm. We had um, huh. we had some. I don't know where he's going. Like. So we had this this dude. He was just like he was drunk, and like you said, everybody has Narcan. And so he's like, "Oh, I saw him on the street, and uh, I give him Narcan." Was he overdosed? No, he was just unconscious on the street, and I gave him Narcan. <laughs> it's like you know. And then we had another one. This. The guy's like, yo, anybody's unconscious? I'll give Narcan. He's like, I'm a gun. Please say I'm a Narcan slinger. Remember that? Narcan. He's like, I'm a Narcan slinger. Yeah, we're in a, a homeless shelter. And the guy was like, pew, pew, pew. I'm a Narcan slinger. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yep. But they were giving Narcan to like um to the uh K2 people. And when you get when you were giving Narcan oh, yeah. to K2 people, they were like zombie madness and shit it was crazy yeah it was kind of weird like the the i don't know what's that word like um like it's sort of potentiated is that like a word like it did something where like nuts yeah folks who might have been unresponsive initially because of k2 i don't know what the narcan provided to them but they would be like projectile vomiting like having yeah. seizures like flipping out yep. and um it just it was like pretty like scary i think it's kind of calmed down a little bit for us the k2 situation it, it sort you of picks back up K2 for a little bit there. and then downtown yeah. um yeah medic 14 and in downtown all the homeless people have k2 that, that yeah. that's really a lot of K2 overdoses downtown, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I don't like working downtown. <laughs> yeah. Those are like hard, I think harder to manage because crazy. at least with the heroin overdose, you kind of, if the person's breathing or at least their pulse ox is, you know, high enough, yeah. they're calm, you know, you put them on the stretcher, you sort of monitor their breathing, their airway, that kind of thing. And maybe you don't even need to give Narcan or you can give like a half a milligram or something and just, Kind of see how they do with that but with the k2 it's like you're trying to manage someone who is like out of their mind high and and people had like so many different symptoms i mean the the seizures the vomiting oh, like shit. the almost like zombified you know walking around like aggressively just like it was it was a lot it was really we had that you know you don't there's nothing to sort of, before you came on came back julie but Rebecca and I, we started the K2 MCI and stuff. It was like two days of just a zombie apocalypse. It was like we were there picking up one guy, and then I'm like, oh, there's another one down the street, and there's another guy like laid out, and then, <laughs> and then they start vomiting, yeah. and it was like sprinkler vomiting, 
and you look down the street and everybody's just like vomiting and passed out. Vomiting. <laughs> Yo, you were grabbing like three people and you know, fires there like hosing down the street. It was it was it made the news and they Yeah, it did. If you look it up on YouTube, it's like the I don't know like if K- you can like call it like a K2MCI. Like K2 Brooklyn or K2 yeah. Yo, it was crazy. One yeah, quarter it was, it was Broadway. Irving. It was Broadway and Myrtle. And, and that was Myrtle. that whole stretch. It was crazy. So, yep. Mm. Yeah. You got anything else? I mean, it's... Adam, come on, give me something good. <laughs> give me good. Something good. Um, come on, everybody likes to hear good, crazy stories. So, Drew doesn't like me to hear crazy so, stories. But. Well, I think the last time we talked you told about. The lady like, in the roller. So we so what's what's yeah, yes. right? So um, that's like one of my most one of my favorite calls in the city um, is the the lady that we it was uh, right up the street from the station. Um, a lady got uh, her hand or well, her mid arm um, stuck into a, a like a printing press and. Uh, they printed newspapers and everything. It was like this mom and pop's printing shop. And uh, like, I'm talking, we drive past this place every day. I didn't even know it was there until this call happened. And, uh, you know, we get there and sure enough, she has her arm, her left arm stuck up to her elbow in a printing press. And uh, the printing press exerts about three tons of pressure whenever it actually does its thing. Um, so they had the power cut. And uh, she couldn't remove her arm. It was trapped. And uh, it was a good call because, you know, it, it encompassed everything that we do in the city in that call pretty much. It had the rescue aspect and also had the medicine aspect. So, like, when we got there, um, and I, I was thinking about this after we talked about it. I had just gotten done taking a man in the machine class. Um, taught by guys who were in New York City, but uh, like I had just gotten done taking this class, and then a few weeks after that, this happened. So, um, oh, Pete's gone. Pete, are you there? Your screen turned off. Hold on. Can you see me? There he is. Back. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, I uh. You, you, we we cribbed the cribbed the printing press real quick, stuck a piece of cribbing in it so it wouldn't move anywhere. Bought blankets for this lady and sat her down because she was leaning over. And you know the best thing to do, like while you're waiting to get her out, is to try and make her as comfortable as possible. So we got a chair and stacked some blankets so she was at least able to, you know, sit down yeah. instead of leaning over this thing. Um, and uh, started the line. We gave her. I, we ended up giving her like as much fentanyl as we could. I think we gave her 300 mics of fentanyl and it didn't touch Did her. Did you see how um, she got her arms stuck and, in there? Uh, like what she was doing? She was going to grab something, yeah. I think, to get it out. And uh, she oh. got sucked in. So, um, yeah. So, the, the uh, we got an IV. We gave her 300 mics. We gave her fluids and everything. And, uh, the rescue truck came and we originally tried uh, it's same concept as like a rabbit tool pretty much. Only it's like a little spreader with like a powered um, 
I don't even know what it's called. I, I wish I could think of what the name of it was, but it's made by Hearst and it didn't have enough pressure to exert um, yeah. what was needed to spread this printing press out. So what was really neat is we had just gotten the new rescue tools, the, the hydraulic tools, and uh, they got the hydraulic spreaders and we were able to get a big enough bite into this printing press that we were able to spread it open a little bit more. And uh, the, the spreaders actually didn't have enough power other than um, they were able to spread it to a certain amount that we were able to just like kind of get lidocaine jelly and get her arm out, but they weren't able to spread it capacity because of how heavy yeah. this machinery was. So, um, but we were lucky enough that we were able to get a bite and get it to spread enough that we were able to get her arm out. Um, but when we got in the ambulance, the doc, the resident came out on that. We gave her ketamine and that was like my first exposure to giving ketamine on a trauma patient. And like I said, the really cool part about this call was that, you know, after, man, I bet like a year had passed by. And uh, like I said, it's right up the street from the station. I decided that I was going to stop in and see these people because I was always curious of how it shook out, like how that, how that happened, like what, what happened to her, if she broke anything, how her arm was. And uh, like I said, it was a mom and pop shop. So we went in and the, the people that were there were there and she yeah. was there. And uh, I ended up talking to her and the only thing that she could do was move her finger to her thumb. Hmm. And uh, she had broken no bones and that was amazing. I, I don't know if she had any dislocations or anything, but she had broken no bone. She just couldn't do the motor skill of putting her pointer finger to her thumb. And uh, I talked to her and she asked me, she's like, what kind of medication did you get? <laughs> I've been trying to find it on the street ever since. Like, oh, like, yeah. So like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, we gave you what's called ketamine. And uh, she's like, all I could remember whenever you guys gave me that thing is thinking of mother jugs yeah. and speed. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that was like you know how they go into like yeah. a hypnotic state or so. I, yeah. I, I guess that was what she remembered, and uh, so I guess it worked. And uh, yeah, we get she hugged me, and yeah. you know it was it was neat. It was it was pretty cool. It was like a full circle call that you got to see, like from you know it went very calm, very very smooth. The operation we had a good rescue crew. We had a good you yeah. know our crew was good. We actually had two more chiefs there who were in and it, it just it was a smooth operation and a kind of call that you yeah. don't normally get and it was kind of neat to be yeah. a part of i guess so what are you doing next do you go on the rescue that is nice you going to rescue now what are you what gonna you do? say what's your next move after you? oh I would, that takes a while to get that takes a while to get onto there that's a lot of seniority to get onto there so i uh i uh like being on the medic unit. I like being at the stations. Oh, the other, I think the other thing we talked about the last time was the, do you, do you guys hear gunshots at your station? No. Not at the station so much. I mean, like in the neighborhood, you might hear it here and there, but. Oh my God. It's so, it was weird when I was at a uh, medic eight, which is up the street from medic two, it's not too far away, but it's like right in the heart of like where yeah. it's a bad area. And, uh, I think there are like three or four times that we heard gunshots and then two of them, we went to the person shot like right down the street. Like yeah. it's it, there. 
that's like the summer nights. Like the summer nights are yeah. like that's yeah. when you get the summer nights. They're uh, not great, but uh, it's uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I think I wrote down some war stories, but uh, yeah, it's just yeah. it's a cool. It sounds it's, like a dope uh, place to work. because so. I mean, I was me and my daughter. We went over there. Um, this summer we drove through. We went on um, what's the incline? I can never say the des the incline road. Duquesne to Duquesne, Duquesne incline. Like yo, if you go to Pittsburgh, you have to go to the Duquesne incline. And then we went and got sandwiches down um downtown. Yeah, for Manny. Yeah, they were. It was definitely. Like, Got to go to the strip. We go there like four o'clock in the morning. Okay. And we get fuel. Sometimes we up and at Permanis at four no, o'clock. There's good. nothing like it. That's yeah. uh, and you got to know what you want yeah, and cool. have cash because they don't take cards. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. an old school place. Oh yeah, that was in Detroit though. Yeah, Whatever. yeah, we didn't get the we got the buff a little bit. So we actually went to Detroit. We didn't even catch a fire. So believe that we didn't even <laughs> catch a fire. Yo, I shut it down, bro. Like people, are like yo, all this crazy stuff happens. I get on the ambulance. You guys won't do anything. So, yep, we definitely we got our spurts. So, yep. What? Yep. But yeah. Adam, do you have anything for new medics or new EMTs that you would tell them to uh to do? Yeah, you know what I was. You guys asked me this question the last time. That's why I'm trying to think of what else I said time. the last time. We're only time, worried about but, uh, the present. So nobody knows we talked last time. <laughs> so I, you know. Mm-hmm. Then, I, then I'll think of more stories and everything, and I'll call okay. you guys back. I'll be like, whenever the COVID thing reaches, like it's done. It's like, hey, come back. I forgot yeah. about I these things. We're going to have to do like a whole giant COVID thing, <laughs> you know, after this, and we'll have everybody's stories. So. Um, yeah, uh, the advice last time I said it was like, get the experience and everything, which I still stand by, you know, get, even if you're in this profession for, you know, not the long haul like us, but, uh, say you want to be a nurse or you want to be a doctor or something, you get the experience being a paramedic because the best doctors and nurses are the ones that have been on the street and been able to be in our shoes so when we bring those patients in and we say hey look this is what's going on you can say like hey i remember that like that's they they don't get to see that kind of stuff that we get to see where their eyes and ears which is pretty cool but the one thing i tell all of my paramedic and nursing students that come and ride with us are uh set yourself up for success and i was thinking about that i i say it all the time and i forget that i say it and uh I usually say it whenever we're teaching them how to do IVs, like to get all yeah. stuff set up so you're not cathing the vein and then like, oh, I don't have my yeah. I don't have my walkout. Like get yourself set up for success. And I was thinking more on that. And that's like a lot of what we do. Like set yourself up for success with the 12 leads. Like, you know, you guys got me back in the pre-leading the EKGs. I, yeah. I, didn't, uh, I didn't do that for a while. I stopped doing that. And, uh, it's been nice quicker for those calls like that, yeah. that lady in the printing press. It's the same. I think, yeah, like becoming familiar with the, the equipment you have and sort of knowing how you set it up. And if you set it up kind of like the same way each time, it makes it a lot easier to kind of know 
immediately when you look at it, like what you might be missing or, um, you know, like, or at the very least that you're not missing anything, you know, that you're just like, I've got I everything that. I need right here. And you're not well, kind of like looking all around yeah. you. I hate not having you know? equipment. So like when I play volley fireman, like we have like some crazy MVA and you know, like you need stuff and they don't have nothing in their bag. I'm like, this guy hands me like a two inch cling. I'm like, yo, what am I going to do with two inch cling, bro? You can wrap their head. I'm like, this isn't, you know, I'm like, yo, what am I going to do with this? I just looked at Mike and you know, like my PTSD set in. It was bad that day. I just like walked away. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, this is, this is a shit show. I'm like, Aww. I'm walking away. It was bad. So PTSD is real. It is definitely real. So, all right, we've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. I don't think anybody else wants to listen to us this long. So, right? <laughs> I know. I, mean, I like, tech, like, I like talking to that. So, I mean, you know, we'll probably call you guys tomorrow night and stuff. <laughs> we all, yeah, we always text. I told you, we text more than my wife at the time. <laughs> well, thank you, Adam, for chatting with us. And, you know, yeah, we will we'll probably talk tomorrow when you folks are on shift and we're on shift. We and, uh, up this word on know, shift. You know that, right? I don't know who started us calling it on. Where did we get that? From? I know. That's, what, do we, what did we that used works. to say, like, when we're just yeah, working or our tour? What you don't, you don't say on shift? No, really. We've been talking it's to so many people. Like, it's crazy. So, like, there's one dude from Alaska. Like, they laid him off from his job. He's, like, it works as a medic in the oil field. And, like, they laid him off and stuff because there's, like, no COVID and because of oil prices. I think because things are slowing down. Yeah. Back to oh, one, one last say, thing that I didn't Whatever you want to say, bro. Is, uh, two, two things I forgot. Number one, I wanted to thank my best friend, Logan Stowler. Give him a shout out because he was the one that told me to contact right. you guys when you first nice. made this page. Like, I said, oh, this is cool. I've been waiting for like a like an EMS page, like for Tricks of the Trade and podcasts to come up and He's like, man, you should you should talk to these people. Like, that would be cool to talk to them. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't want to. I don't know. And he's like, do it, man, do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> That's when I like. Yeah, I, I think I messaged Pete on on. Uh, I think that you were the one that answered with with like one of the things I sent. But uh, that and thank you guys for doing this. Um, I know I said it the last time. Nobody knows this is the last uh, time. So this is the probably. First time. Yeah, I know. I keep saying that. Thank you guys for doing this. This is pretty cool to have uh, like this platform and be able to talk to people about different things that happen across the across the country and maybe the world. You know, we've seen that stuff yeah, from Finland and everything. Shit, right? uh, yeah, and it's like it's like you don't you don't get to see that. You guys are bringing that out to you know. The, the social media platform and the podcasting world and everything. And it's a, it's a very humbling experience to get to talk to you guys about this. So I, I appreciate everything you do. And well, you thank come you on again when it. we get better at this. So we're still, uh, <laughs> I I am all for it. If people, if people want to hear my boring stories, you know, everybody they can, crazy stories. No, they're not just, boring. you know, we're still on the job. So you really can't say, what you want to say that's the toughest part you know well i mean you, like 
you know, you don't want to yeah. do any HIPAA violations and you don't, you know, you can't slander your, yeah, exactly. work like, I don't want to, I, like I said the last time, I, I keep yeah, saying this. Oh my God. Um, That's okay. none of my, none of my views like affect yeah. my work, but it's that it, kind of thing. You know, there's so many stories that, that you go on, you know, you think people don't want to hear that's, and I don't know. So like people want to hear a lot of stuff. And I'm like, yo, nobody wants to hear this. And they actually do. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. So that people actually want to listen to us. Well, I think uh, it's been like, it's been a pretty fun experience to talk to people who work EMS in other places because you know, you get pretty set in your ways and this is how we do it here or whatever. This is how we do it in New York. And like I worked upstate, it's very different from working in the city. So I had like a little bit of a different experience, but talking to folks who work in other systems that do, you know, like, I mean, like Pittsburgh having rescue and having EMS do these kind of rescue things. Like that's so such a foreign concept in that way. It's been like such a cool adventure for us to learn about all this stuff you know it's i don't know and i think that folks want to hear what all ems is like all over the place mm -hmm. you know i like it well i'll be interested yeah. in listening so, for sure and to making videos like falling or so whatever people like to video <laughs> stuff so you know. yeah oh yeah my my haircut video i needed a haircut at least i at least I got like form fitting hair yeah. and I have curls popping out. Like nice there's there's a few people who actually follow like the page that I'm friends with a lot of people. And I got some people that messaged me after that. They're like, You're famous. I'm like, Yeah. They're like, You need a haircut. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a haircut before we did this. I needed a haircut. So, so. I'm proud. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. We're all going to look a little wonky after the COVID situation. Yeah, we'll, we'll all have to debrief after yep. that. All right, yeah. stop the recording. Hey, we start an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes. We, we didn't did have to talk about it. it that much, no. son. Yeah, that's true. All right, so we're just going to hit the stop right. record now. So, Adam, well, hold, if you want to hold on for one sec, so Pete and Julie, rush the bus. Thanks for listening. Tips, tricks, yo. Send us something, man. Come on. We're running out of ideas. So <laughs> it's true. We're totally running out of ideas. So, I don't want to hear myself. I want to hear other people's stuff. So you'll let us know. All right. Thanks for being on. All right. Bye. Did you stop? Bye.